0: In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or
1: its partners. Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. From the website Girlfriendit.com and the movement Girlfriendit, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Dernigan on TogiNet.com.
2: Well, welcome to Girlfriendit Radio. You are with Patty and Lisa. Well, actually, you are just with Patty. Lisa is out gallivanting in Egypt this week, so you'll have to take a few minutes and just picture her on a. Uh, I don't know, a camel or something. So I'm going to jump right in with our guest today. We have some amazing people, and I once heard about them from my niece who uh, went to Biola and Talbot, and she is now off in England. Um, But she had heard them speak uh, there at the college, and so I'm excited to dive in and ask them all kinds of questions. And we have Dale and Jonathan Fincher from Solation, and they are creative communicators and out-of-the-box thinkers. They are authors, speakers, and founders of Solation. So, Dell and Jonalyn, you're you're always out traveling the country, and you're talking with audiences about the God who loves broken, and I love that, and I just want to welcome you on the show today. How are you?
3: We're great. Mm-hmm. We're glad to be with you. Thank you, Lisa.
2: Well, actually, this, this is, is Patty. Patty. Oh, this is Patty. Lisa's on a camel. <laughs> I'm
0: still envisioning Lisa on the camel. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I,
2: <laughs> I just, love I, it. I hope she doesn't fall off, because it's been an ongoing thing now for the last 12 years that I have... I have been to Egypt and I've been on a camel and so that was on her bucket list that she had to do that so there she is and I'm a little jealous of her. That's
3: really cool she's over there.
2: Yeah she was really excited to go but she leaves me here all by myself but I'm so (laughs) excited that you guys are on the show today and of course you know just this week knowing that you were going to be on my head is reeling with all kinds of questions because (laughs) I've been on your website. I have looked at several of your blogs and now now I just expect you to answer all the questions that I've had in the last forty years of my life. So.
0: Oh, wonderful. <laughs> we will do our best. And yes, the light does turn off when you close the refrigerator.
2: <laughs> do you think it really does? It really does. <laughs> <laughs> well, interesting enough, Dale. Um, you have you, you you guys have these comments about appropriate human. And yes. what exactly does that mean? Like, I have to, like, you know, for people like me that are simple-minded, right. I have to take those words and dissect and go, okay.
0: <laughs> right, what is appropriately human? Yes, um, the uh, the, the Christian human. art critic, uh, Hans Ruckmacher, made a statement that I think is provocative, but I think really we, we need to take it seriously. He says, Jesus did not come into the world to make us Christians. He came to make us fully human. Mm. And what I think the trap that many Christians easily fall into is we start thinking of our Christian experience as though we became a different kind of species when we came to Christ, or we joined a special club, and so now my identity is something that is, is different from anybody else's. But God made us human from the very beginning. And Jesus came to make us fully human. That's what redemption is about. That's what those big, you know, fancy theological words like sanctification and becoming holy means. It means that God is making us fully ourselves as he intended us to be. And he does that in many different ways. But that's why we, we take that tagline partly to help Christians understand that um, we, we did more than, than just join a, a church club when we came to Christ. But also to help the skeptic understand that um, God does not want him to... Uh, to have to give up their humanity to come to him, he actually wants to restore and give their humanity back to them in a more full way, which is really why when we hear the gospel, it is such good news.
2: I love that. And, you know, right now, talking about appropriately human. Um I just I went to the dentist yesterday and I spent 3 hours in a chair and I mm-hmm. I'm not feeling human at all. No,
0: I can relate. That's why I avoid him at all costs.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it, my tongue keeps hitting my tooth that's been worked on. You know how mm-hmm. you all of a sudden have this very no, no, nosy tongue yeah. and so I can't say my words the right way. Um so
3: so bear with <laughs> me.
2: But <laughs> it's all temporary. And it's just funny that I would have to do a radio show today when I really can't talk. Oh, <laughs> well,
3: you know, that's actually a really good example of part of the um, the full, fully owning your humanity. Um, the going to the dentist part, I think, <laughs> it's a great example because, um, well, we are the only, you know, Christianity is the only religion where God came in flesh be- took on flesh, became human, but he also took on the pain of this life in a way that um, means he can identify with us. So whenever we go through something like a dental experience or losing someone we love, like losing your mother, um, it's something I think um, the Christian God identifies with, and Mm -hmm. um, uh, he bears scars, too. I mean, the fact that Jesus has scars, like we have scars, is, is is. it's such a, a valuable place to sit, and it, it, it lifts up the suffering we're going through. I, I love that verse um, when Paul says, we enter into the fellowship of suffering, mm. and, and we're not alone in it. And even you saying it, your tongue is nosy and going to those little spots <laughs> in your mouth, I so identify with it. I'm there. I love the word I, picture. I know that. I know that feeling. I think probably everyone listening knows that feeling of um, wanting to go back to that spot that hurts. The dentist then becomes a
0: metaphor for what our future redemption is like, when all of our teeth shall be well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is so true. And, you know, you said you know, we all want to go back sometimes to that pain. And, mm-hmm. and Jonalyn, just like you were saying with my mom, today actually, April 19th, is the 12th anniversary of my mom's wow. death. And it's interesting enough because mm-hmm. I grew up in a Christian home, and I'll never forget sitting there with a, a, a group of pastors, and they, when they were praying, they were saying, making comments like, "This is God's perfect plan." And I remember sitting mm. there getting so angry with yeah. that, even yeah. though we know this is, and God, you, you know, allows these things to happen, and just like it says in Scripture, that Satan intends to harm us, but God will use it for good. You know all of that intellectually. But to be sitting there and hearing that, it, what I really grasped onto was when people said, you know, Jesus wept. And he, just like you yeah. said, he goes through that suffering with yes. us rather than sure. hearing,
3: this is God's perfect plan. Oh, that's one of the worst things good. to say to someone in suffering. I, 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 it's, it's tragic to me because it's not our place to tell people when they're ready to say God is using this for good, because in the midst of the suffering, you cannot see any of the good. You have to be, you need to sit with that person in the suffering. I know when I'm suffering, I don't want anyone to say that to me, because that's Mm -hmm. my right and my choice to say that when God has brought me to that place. Yes. You know, we have to, I mean, it was Joseph the one who said, you intended evil for me to his brothers, but God meant it for good. But, you know, that took decades for him to get there and to slap that kind of, um, and it's really not comfort. I, it makes my heart hurt to well, hear it was that still, you...
0: It was still evil, that. and that's, that's why Joseph could say it. He said, I'm still calling what you did evil. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was. Mm-hmm. I, I lost my mom in uh, 2003, so it'll be nine years in October, mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. she died of cancer. And mm-hmm. uh, you're right. It's we We grieve because we've lost something, and to think that God wants to snatch such beautiful people out of our lives because he has a perfect plan really... Smacks strangely of when we think of the love of God and what He's up to. He is definitely a God who redeems, and death is part of the fall, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But to say, you know, and, and the fall was not part of God's perfect plan. Now, I, I know some people come from a theological tradition that will say it was, but um, that's not mine. <laughs> yeah, my mom used to, you know, for her own comfort, she used to say, "Everybody has their appointment with God, and I'm not going to be early or late." And that is the part of the story God is writing for my mother. But there obviously is a larger story that's also going on behind the scenes for God to reconcile the entire entire world to Himself. Mm-hmm. But it's no good when people give us these little these little cliches because we grieve because we lost something, not because not because there's some sort of perfect plan floating around that. Um, that we hope to be a part of.
2: And that's so true, Dylan. I think that just leads into my next question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's so hard sometimes to share our faith without losing our, our friends. And it's because mm. um, many times those friends have that perspective because it's been another Christian, maybe that's, you know, claims to be a Christian or they mm. are believers that have said things like that. And it stops them. It's like this wall that they can't get beyond. So, why is it so hard to share our faith, especially for, you know, those of us who have kids and they're coming to us going, Mom, you know, I really, I really struggle with this. How do, how do I share my faith and still have them not feel like they're a project or something? <laughs>
0: Right. right. No, nobody likes to feel like a project, like you just came to them because they were a fixer-upper, and you're going to then you know, flip them and then sell them off to somebody else, like a house. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I, And I think that the, those little moments in which, you know, we, we, we as Christians will say these cliches, and I, I think there's so many people turned off to the faith. It's not because they haven't heard, it's because they've heard it badly. I think so many atheists today, they don't need apologists telling them, you know, that God exists. They need a christian to come along and say that you really are loved by this god and i'm sorry so many christians were treating you poorly um but but those are dehumanizing moments anytime we're dehumanizing somebody else by by using clichés by using bad ideas by by invalidating their pain we are not coming to them the way god comes to them with his tender hand in which he he will come to them and, and sit in their pain so i think that that is part of where the turnoff happens as we end up not seeing the other person as a human like we are and meeting them where they are at and getting into their shoes.
3: One thing I've, known, I've noticed that um, helps me a lot in talking about Jesus with others is, um, is remem- remembering that Jesus isn't in heaven looking down on me, biting his nails, making, wanting, hoping, <laughs> you know, praying that I get it right. You know, this isn't riding on me first. You know, he has, like you said, a perfect plan. So I don't have to be feeling this burden that this person's eternal salvation is resting on my shoulders. That is not the goal of witnessing. Um, You know, witnessing itself comes kind of from a a, a term used in the court of law. You put somebody in a box and you say, tell me what you saw. Were you there? Did you see what happened? Mm -hmm. What did you see? To tell the truth as you experienced it. That's what witnessing is about. So I think each of us, and this is a big theme of my writing and my work, is that each of us has been made in a human way that is unique, fingerprint of god on this earth there's only one you and one me and we will each share jesus in a way that is different from each other and the way you've connected with jesus is different than the way i have
2: absolutely and on that note we are going to take a real quick commercial break so hold that thought thought jonathan and i'll be right back
1: This is Girlfriend it on Toginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended radio right after these. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable soft cuddly sweet-smelling smiling cooing hungry tired gassy screaming little bundle of joy so now what where's the owner's manual for this thing where are my instructions right here it's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years
2: Well, welcome back. And we are just now solving all the world's problems. And, Jonathan, I was rude, <laughs> and I cut you off right in the midst of you saying how wonderful Jesus is. So that, uh,
3: <laughs> that's okay. what I was saying. i us see a few more prayers. <laughs> <laughs> let me let my hair down. This is a place to let our hair down. Dale and I were talking about letting our hair down. It's so fun to imagine Dale with his hair I've, down. I've never been
0: involved in girlfriend talks before, so this is so exciting. Mm-hmm. Love I love it. have never been invited I, into that
3: inner sanctum. <laughs>
2: well, uh, Dale, okay. I hope you're sipping some, like, really young me, like, foo-foo coffee while you're doing it. Oh, absolutely. We're in the
3: basement of our cabin, (laughs) so our babysitter can watch our two-year-old, surrounded by um, the evidence that a raccoon was down here. So, we're not enjoying yummy drinks, but that's okay.
2: Oh, (laughs) funny, funny. But imagine that I'm
3: just riding on a camel,
0: enjoying a latte, and
3: I'm
2: all right. I'm the only one suffering through this with all the things. We are suffering. We are
3: suffering for the gospel. (laughs) Um, I wanted to say, because originally the question you had brought up was how do you share your faith without losing your friends? And I was trying to um, um, trying to explain that I, I think we end up losing our friends when we end up using someone else's script that isn't ours and pretending we know the answers when we don't. So um, this is really unfortunate, but the church is often not a safe place to be ourselves. Mm-hmm. And when we share Jesus, we end up trying to convince them to be someone they're not, to join a club so they can copy us, who is And if we're not being honest about who we are, then we end up coming across as false. And I think that's the number one turnoff in sharing our faith. We think we have to say things right, and we think we've succeeded when they convert. So uh, the number one thing I would suggest um, in sharing your faith is think about the ways Jesus has personally met you and done something for you. And I'm not just talking about your personal testimony. I'm talking about the thing maybe that happened this last week or this last month where you saw God come through for you. You know, maybe it was helping you through an illness or giving you strength to um, be extra patient with your two-year-old. Or maybe it was um, you were were afraid something was going to happen and God gave you a verse that comforted you. Starting with the experience is a good place to start because it breaks the ice and talking about, you know, one of those topics that's always considered controversial and scary, your religion or politics. And when you bring up mm-hmm. religion, it's really important that you feel confident and um, comfortable with what you're about to share. So You don't want to start spouting out arguments that you haven't even studied or trust in yourself. Does that make sense?
2: Oh, you know what? Absolutely. And I wish I would have known this when I w- was younger, because I have a tendency, t- I love to debate. I also yeah. love to win. And yeah. so... When I would get in conversations, exactly what you're talking about. For me, it was, I, I felt like I had the facts. I could show you, you know, in scripture where it says X, Y, and Z. So yeah. when I would discuss this with other people of different faiths, it was mainly to win. I wanted to show them how clearly um, their thinking was was wrong. Yes. And yes. instead of doing exactly what you said, go hit hit where Jesus is um your story is his story and hit all of those of how he meets you on that emotional level and just your faith and a lifestyle yeah and yep. i i i literally one of my girlfriends i i lost that relationship because i was always out to show her that her faith <laughs> did not follow what scripture says.
3: Yeah. It's very than, tempting. Uh, it's tempting. Yes. Especially if you're <laughs> good at arguing, which I, I relate to you in that. I am, um, I have a good girlfriend who was in a similar place with me on that. And every time we got together, it was about showing that she was wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very alienating. I, I think it's helpful for our friends to know that we care about how their religion is answering their heart's cry as well. Mm. So to take time to ask them, you know, how is, you know, how is Buddhism giving you more compassion these days? Mm. And then listen. Mm-hmm. You know, and if there's a question that comes up for you as you're listening to them, then invite them. You know, how would you feel if I asked you a question about that? Because something either doesn't make sense or does make sense or I want to understand more. This is the whole practice of walking in someone else's shoes before you start um, diagnosing and fixing them. Mm-hmm. We have we have seven manners of how to have good
0: conversations with people in our book. Coffee shop conversations make the most of, making the most of spiritual small talk, and um and one of the most important ones we have found, which is manner number seven, it is allowing your friends to remain unconvinced by you, mm. which means that you are assuming several things: one, that God is the one who is at work in this person's life, even more than you are. But uh, secondly, that um, their, their faith is not dependent on how good your arguments are, necessarily. And to allow them to say, you know what, this conversation could pick up another time. And if, and, and, and if we're friends, then God will let us have more times. We're going to have more latte moments where we can sit around and talk, and these topics can come up. But if we do not allow them to walk away unconvinced, if we, they, if they can't walk away going, oh, that was some interesting ideas, but they, boy, they really got pushy at the end. You know, if we don't, we we don't, if we we cannot let them walk away going, those were some very interesting points that they raised there, and they were not pushy. They just are letting, respecting my own thoughts, my own conscience, and my own processing of this. Then that opens the door for more conversations and allows them to trust you more that what you're bringing up is in their best interest, not just your best interest.
2: Well, and and then that goes into another question. So it's what's in their best interest. Let's say you feel that, you know, God has put somebody in your life for a season to have an impact on, and, and this person just keeps, they, they, they're just not choosing Jesus. If you walk away from them eventually,
3: then they do feel like they were just a project to yes. you. Well, I think the whole problem with that um, is the first thing you said. You think God has brought them into your life to have an impact. I think there's a problem with that statement, and I think this is something it's, its very humbling to me because I have tended to see relationships in that way until more recently. Um, I don't think we can expect to impact other people unless we are open to them impacting us. In other words, I don't believe in drive-by acts of charity anymore.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: So if I'm going to be going to help serve soup at the homeless shelter, what am I expecting to learn from these men and women who do not have homes? Because if I only expect to give them all my gracious charity, then I am not serving in the name of Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm just looking my long, at, down my long nose at them.
3: Mm-hmm. So whenever yeah. we meet somebody, if we think Jesus wants us to share him with them, we also need to ask ourselves, what about them shares the image of God with us? Because every person, I don't care what their beliefs are, is made in the image of God. And everybody has a unique, I like to talk about, the sparkle we have, that we share. That's what makes girlfriends so fun, you know, learning the things that make them tick and how they're so different from us. And it makes us say, wow, it's so cool, you, you're like that, I'm not like right. that. And we admire that, and, and we also learn about God through that. So when we meet somebody, and if we want to share Jesus with them, it's to first take time to get to know what about them tells us more about God and His nature. And, and okay. then
0: when we're with them, we're not just thinking how can I give them my faith, but how can I give them myself?
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: More than just and about you what know
2: what—that's really profound. And I really that—that's something that you you want to scream from the mountaintops because once again, where were you guys in my twenties? Because <laughs> well, I was five. <laughs> just hey, hey, I'm only twenty five.
3: <laughs> um, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs>
2: I look at I listen to you guys and. So many times, and, and, you know, we go into uh, strip clubs, and we bring cupcakes to the strippers, and just, you know. just I want to go with like,
3: you. I want to go with you. I've always wanted to do something like that. It, well, I want to go in been, interview, you actually. You have to go in with your
2: the way you guys are thinking and with that thought process, mm. because forever, I was going in going, okay, we – we're going to rescue them. Yeah. them. We are going to give them Jesus. And, it, it, you know, forever, it, it's, with that mentality, it's, it's sad because... Well, it's very
3: easy to do. It's, you know what? It reminds me a little bit of imperialism, the yes. idea that we're going to go into these, um, this culture where they're backwards, they're, they don't know, not just Christianity, but they don't know how to wear suits, so they don't know how to speak English, they don't know how to have good manners at the table, and we're going to fix them with not just our religion, but our culture. We're going to show them how awesome we are.
2: Well, and then when you go there and you're just listening, it's funny because I would come home and I would tell my husband different things that this one particular gal was sharing with me on because she was struggling with her daughter and relationships. And so she was sharing and I was learning quite a bit on, on you know, what to do with my own daughter because she was, wow. you know, sharing about her and her mom and different yeah. relationships. And my husband said, should I be concerned that you keep coming home with tips from strippers?
3: <laughs> and that is exactly what That's you guys it. are saying. That's it. That's the exact- the- problem right there, is that we don't think that a stripper or an exotic dancer, as I'm sure they'd rather be called, is somebody who might have some relational awareness, which is really bigoted of us. Yes, yes. And I know this is going to cause waves because it's, so much easier to put people in these these boxes. But we talk about even in coffee shop conversations is, you know, cutting open the tape, opening the box up, seeing what's inside, because all of us are like people packages and just just by judging us by the outer appearance, you know. The way we we dress to fit into our tribe so that we can be recognized, identified, and then classified. And it's so much easier to keep people in their box. And that's the way we choose churches and small groups and friends. And it's not wrong to have friends who are similar to us, but when we meet someone who's really different, like on an airplane trip, is a chance to say, I have somebody who is an expert in what they believe sitting next to me, and the only way I can find out is by asking them.
2: hmm well, we have two minutes before. This is just going way too fast, so I'm trying to like grab every every little tidbit I can. You're so um, we're going to go into the next uh, segment with talking about boutique religion mm. and what is it? Because you you had me at boutique. So
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm the market works. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how much time we have before the break, but boutique comes from the idea of. Um, did you want to? Oh, right, so we can attack that after the break. Yeah, I think we have a little bit of time. Okay. Do you want me to explain what that means? And then we'll go to the break. Let me
2: explain what it it means before we go. I'll just cut you off and be rude again. Okay, yeah, that's that's no problem.
3: I don't feel offended. (laughs) Um, boutique comfortable course, the boutique where you go in expecting to find things that are going to match your style in your house. Um, So you you go and you take a little bit of one thing and a little bit of something else and you create a collage or a a pastiche of the things that fit you. And people go into religions in a similar way. They'll pull a little bit of positive thinking from the secret and they'll take a little bit of maybe practicing the Eucharist from the Catholic Church and then they'll do a little bit of yoga because that helps clear their mind. And before you know it, they've created their own customized boutique religion that fits them and their needs at the moment. But it will not be based on... A God who is personal, has a personality, and wants to change and do things in their life.
2: Hmm. Well, it almost sounds like, uh, what is it, Baha'i,
3: Baha'i faith? The Baha'i faith, yeah.
0: Baha'i, yeah. Baha'i does have those elements in it, that is right. But
3: I would say Baha'i is a step above boutique religion in that they have certain beliefs that they are very clear about. They have their own creed. They have their own um, set of things that they expect all followers to adhere to.
2: Okay, well, here comes the tunes, so go ahead, refill that cup of coffee, and we'll be right back.
1: Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. I love it. Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen know it. Join these soul sisters on toginet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. Showcases two sides. One, to help entrepreneurs showcase their products and tell their story of their happily ever after. And two, to interview people who have realized their own fairy tale and doing something to benefit others. This show is here to help folks who have an idea and want to get it off the ground, as well as to inspire people to make the world a better place by doing something extraordinary or out-of-the-box to help others. Both of these entrepreneurs have their own businesses and websites with more information on their passions and successes. First for Debbie, FairytaleWishesInc.com. And for Deanna, TheNextBigZing.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true with the Soul Sisters, Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen on Toginet.com. Get ready to laugh along with This Little Parent stayed Home with Ali Lopreet. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show, on togynet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa.
2: Welcome back to Girlfriended. We are talking today with Dell and Jonathan Fincher with Solation, and right now we're discussing boutique religion. Um, Basically, we're we're handpicking whatever whatever we want. We've kind of come become that consumer Christian where we can just go from church to church and go, I like this here, and I like the youth group here, and I like, oh, they're having a dance over here. Is that is that kind of like what you're saying, Jonalyn?
3: Yeah, I think that every one of us does this. I don't want to say it's just people who don't know Jesus who are boutique um I think um, on a a different level, though, people are more apt to choose from entirely separate religions. So, um, you know, taking a little bit of Hinduism and ideas, from The Secret, which is a popular book Uh on the power of positive thinking, uh, kind of an update of that. And then maybe taking a little bit of Buddhist ideas that we are all one, we are all connected, um, which you can pick up easily in a yoga class. Um, And then maybe taking a little bit of Christianity. Maybe they like going to Mass once a week and, and receiving the Eucharist. So almost chasing the spiritual high. Mm -hmm. And in the process, assuming that spirituality or religion is more like um, a flavor of ice cream that you choose or um, a style of clothing you wear that suits you but um, doesn't have anything to do with reality. And you see this in the way people talk about religion. You know, you do your thing that works for you, but don't tell me that that is something I need to believe because that's pushy or that's judgmental or that's condemning. And Dale and I, because we're both trained in philosophy of religion, our concern is to help people see that religion, more than being like an ice cream flavor you choose, religion is more like a medicine you take when you have a sickness. And some medicines work and some don't. You know, but that only makes sense if there's something wrong with all of humanity, which is interesting. Every single religion thinks something is wrong with humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, every every religion has a diagnosis for why things aren't the way they should be. Um, Buddhists say it's because we um, we we desire things so much it makes us greedy and it keeps us from exercising compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, Christians say it's a problem of sin. We've as Loves to say we've lifted our middle finger to God and we've told them to get out of our lives.
1: Um, so what do we religion... do
3: with this? What, we, if, if, what do we do okay. with what with boutique religion?
2: <laughs> what okay? So, I, I'm let's say I'm over here and I, yeah, I go, I'm doing exactly what, what you said. I'm going over here for yoga, I come over here and I'm reading the secret. I just love all these tips and I'm listening to this going, ooh. Am I not supposed to be doing this? Right.
3: Well, let me be clear about one thing. I'm not trying to say that it is wrong to read the book The Secret or it's wrong to go to yoga. I'm not saying that. I want to be clear about that. I'm more concerned with our view of reality and God. Um, And, you know, actually, I'm going to let Dale um, pop in here on this because we have a section in Coffee Shop Conversations specifically about um, the tendency to be boutique um, Mm spiritualists and how to connect with God as a person. Um, Dale's looking at me like, what do you want me to say? <laughs> you can say whatever <laughs> like, what, you want. What's the segue you're leading me
2: into? <laughs> I do that to Lisa all the time, so I'm totally... Uh, oh, uh, loves it. So she loves
3: it, like Dale does. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it, it, it's interesting. I think one thing we can do is, is I think that every... Not, according to the Pew Forum, who did a, a national survey in 2008, they discovered that 93% of Americans believe that God exists. They believe in God in some way. We, we think that, uh, that most of the people we end up having to talk to are atheists and who have a lot of philosophical arguments, but it's, it's not the case. There are people who actually do believe in God. They're just kind of confused on who, who he is. And uh, so I mean, uh, we have found ourselves in discussions with people and, you know, asking them questions about, you know, in boutique spirituality. You know, do you think God is love? And most people want to say that God is love.
3: Intu- it makes sense.
0: Uh, intuition. Okay. Intuition. Yeah, intuition. Uh, it's in fact it's hard to come across people unless they've been really been burned by the church, or uh, just struggle with some of the judgments of God. God makes in the scripture. Most people want to say that God is love, but then you ask the question: Is God a person? And that's where it starts to to come around because somebody and I was thinking like, well, you can only have love if you have a person. Only persons are loving things. I go out to my tree in the backyard, but it doesn't really love me. But then if, you know, if they're starting to think, you know, God is loving, God is a person, and then here's really the kicker question, and I think this is what we all have to face and understand, is the question, does God want to be known? And if he wants to be known, we want to come to him on his terms and the way he reveals himself to us this keeps it out of to me boutique spirituality and boutique religion because it's not about me you know making almost like a a ragdoll picture of god where i kind of sewed on a little bit here and sewed on a little bit there to suit whatever my needs are but it's me coming with humility saying god the god who is there is the god i want to know i want to know him on his terms not on mine which is remarkable that that is really the beginning of wisdom says solomon when he says the be- the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom mm-hmm. meaning that i am a creature and he is god i mm-hmm. know little he knows a lot i need to come to him i want to come to him on his terms and if god wants to be known then that's where the conversation really starts to unravel how does god want to be known how has he revealed who he is has he spoken as is he's he talking about things in scripture that we want to take seriously and does it really line up with the, the, the way the world really is?
3: And you know, in finding out who God is, we find He does meet our needs. He meets the deepest longings of our heart. He is very quick to answer when we call, He is near to the brokenhearted. He's not distant. I mean, the whole image of God saying to Nicodemus, Remember when Jesus was in the garden, he said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is an image I think women can use and identify with. And if you've had a child, you know that the work of birthing is very much on the woman's shoulders. And and Jesus is saying, God is the one who births us into new life. The baby doesn't do a ton, except go through a lot of stress, which is hard. I agree. Spiritual life is stressful. But... God is the one who is working in us to create new things, and this is a very intimate picture of a God who wants to be known, who wants to be near, who wants to get even messy in the process of seeing new life in us. Mm -hmm. So I'm not talking about God as this distant, scary man in the sky. I'm talking about a God who says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am near to my people.
2: And that is so, so neat to, to hear it that way. And and you're right because he's so intimate with each and every one of us. It it blows you away how intimate he is. It's like, oh, wait, how can he do that in my life this last five minutes? And you guys are talking about what he did in your life in the yeah. last five minutes. Right. And And we can't comprehend that.
3: Which is why sharing Jesus is something we cannot just do with those who don't know him. You know, in our, even our, I've done I've t- an experiment the last couple of years into listening to conversations between those who claim to be Christians and those who aren't, and often our conversations are identical. We don't bring up Jesus with those who know him because it's embarrassing for us to talk about it. We're all in the club, why bring him up? And mm-hmm. we don't bring him up with people who don't know Jesus because we're embarrassed and we're worried we're going to offend them. So he, just, mm-hmm. he, he comes up very little so we're just unpracticed. It's like trying to learn a new skill, like trying to learn how to knit. You feel like a five-year-old. Well, most of us, we feel like five-year-olds when we try to share Jesus because we're just not very good at it. We haven't practiced. I mean, just okay. to begin talking with those you love and trust about what God has done in your life is a great way to practice sharing your faith because you are. <laughs> You're sharing well, it with them.
2: Okay, so so how do we get, for for the moms that are out there with their children, because I yeah. agree, and this is one of the things, it really gets under my skin because Um. You don't hear people talking about Jesus and they'll say, oh, you know, that's just a personal thing or, yeah, oh, I don't sure. I don't want to bring that up. How do we teach our children to do that? How are we how can you give, you know, the listeners out there just just some you know, snippets of what would you do to just teach your kids how to share Jesus?
3: Well, um, it, it can't be something you do as an extracurricular activity. Um, <laughs> sharing Jesus is something you will do naturally as a mother with them. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. So we have a two-year-old, and um, we, we don't bring up God just when we're praying um, over meals. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of the day, if I'm very stressed or worried, I will pray out loud and ask for help. And And my son will come and interrupt me. He doesn't know what I'm doing because he's so young. But uh, a beg- beginning to um, t- to let God be part of our conversation, our fears, our questioning, our debating in front of our children, letting them know we too have questions, and we're not afraid to bring up God in our conversation, I think is is I mean, it's all about modeling. It's not about telling them, do this when you don't do it yourself. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely, you know. Uh, I like I said, I I was I grew up in a Christian home, and pretty much my brothers and sisters, most of them are in ministry. And one time, my brother brought a girlfriend home, and she later on told us, "I thought I was with a bunch of Jesus fanatics."
3: <laughs>
2: we, you know, just at the dinner table—that's what you're talking about. You were yeah. having these kinds of conversations yeah. that we're we're doing right now, and it's interesting that somebody else who grew up in a Christian home was saying, "I thought you guys were Jesus fanatics." Yeah,
3: it's very and, uncommon. Yeah. You're just sharing the
2: Lord. You're just sh- talking about, you know, ministry and just life. It's not even ministry. Right. Life.
0: I, you're right. A lot of it is just life. I mean, I think if we, we could call, just continue to cultivate a flavor of talking about things that matter, uh, there's so much trivial chatter that we engage in online. Like, and we
3: do it to protect ourselves because we're afraid, which is really at the core of why we don't share our faith. But go ahead. Uh, no. I was going to
0: say, like, we, we, we're very apt to talk on Facebook that we're making cookies at night, which is great. Let's talk about the cookies for a moment. But in general, if, if, if God is drawing us into thinking about the permanent things, the things that remain the same, the things that are not, you know, burned up as wood hay stubble, um, mm-hmm. we we can meet around more trivial things like scrapbooking. But when we're doing the scrapbooking, are we more concerned about all the different cool border effects we can create on it, or are we engaging with the people around us, saying, "Hey, here's some thoughts I had recently about." Things that matter, things, a relationship that we had, something a, a sermon that we heard at church, the questions that we're dealing with, or how, how God is meeting us in some pain or, or bringing our own confessions into it. That's when things start really start becoming uh, more deeply human and, and more of the spiritual conversations that Account.
3: Well, and I was going to say, in defense of scrapbooking, because I love doing that. No, I know you're not, but I just want to be really clear about this, because some people will take that, and they will hang on that, and they'll say, I don't like them, because they talked about scrapbooking being trivial. And my point is that some of us, scrapbooking is the thing that makes us come alive. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, we feel that God is just grinning, grinning at us, like, yes, do that. You're so creative and you're doing that well. But scrapbook, scrapbook can, can become the place we share Jesus in that. Remember that scene in Chariots of Fire where Eric Little said, I, I, when I run, you know, the, the yes. great the great runner, he'd say, when yes. I run, I feel God's pleasure.
2: Mm-hmm. And this is something we
3: all need to, um, c- to come to terms with in our lives. What is the thing that gives us the awareness that God is smiling down on what we're doing? And I, I just, I think it's way too easy to avoid the things we're afraid of with God, the things that we're still questioning with God, and that's where real spiritual conversations start.
2: Absolutely, this is Girlfriend at Radio. We are going into commercial break. Stay tuned.
1: This is Girlfriend it on Togynet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended radio right after these. Thursday nights, get ready for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette, at 1110 Central on TuggyNet.com. What are the Read My Lips Tips for Success? Well, it's spelled out like this. R. Realize it is possible E. Embrace all relationships A. Advance through adversity D. Develop your significance M. Manage your health and wealth Y. Yield to your natural abilities L. Listen to your heart I. Invest in yourself P. Persist by taking small steps And S serve others. Each week on the show, you'll find a safe haven whereby tips, insights, and strategies are shared by Linnea and her guests. Go to Linnea's website, readmyliptips.com Then join us Thursday nights at 11, 10 p.m. Central for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette. on toginet.com. Have you ever wondered why America is facing such a health care crisis? Then join us for Dr. Peter DeVette Live. Every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Doctor, doctor. He'll answer your health care and medical questions and share with you his knowledge and opinions on topics ranging from holistic health care to spirituality and wellness. You'll find out about the roots of your health care challenges versus symptom management, the holistic approach, how the spirit, mind, and body connection is critical in both the development of illness and the solution to illness, how emotions are directly related to physical illness, and how to read your body like a book. Dr. DeVette will also go through your personal questions and how you can navigate through the illness maze. Supplements, medications, therapies, treatment options, surgeries, all kinds of things related to your health. Dr. Peter DeVent Live, every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio.
2: Back to Girlfriend It. We are talking with Dale and Jonathan Fincher, and we've been talking about all kinds of things from scrapbooking all the way to boutique religion. But I'm <laughs> going to switch gears here. And, um, Jonathan, in one of your blogs, you were talking about the Hunger Games. And, yeah. Dale, since since this is all frivolous to you, <laughs> <laughs> <The> Hunger <laughs> Games actually has a lot of great themes in it. <laughs> well, Hunger Games is, is it really is. Um, pretty contradictory. And I can't say that word with my little two things. So just read between the lines or between the words. Um, you just, think it has
3: but, contradictions in it, Hunger Games?
2: Well, I mean, towards the way that parents are looking at it for their children. Got it. Reading it, going to the movies. I know I, I have a 10-year-old and I'm going to get all kinds of emails on this that I've, I've read the book to. Well, she read it to me, actually. We both kind of read it together. And I, I know some of my friends have said, oh, that is way too young to, to let a child read this about children killing children. Um, but she gobbled it up. And I, I know when it was uh, conflicting with the whole Harry Potter thing, I let my son at that age read through all those books and, received a lot of flack from that as well. But you know, when you read it with them, it's a great dialogue and you can talk through all of that. And, um, I just have a different opinion on, on some of that, but what, what do you guys
3: think about that? About your parenting or about the idea of (laughs) No, I do not want to know what you think about
2: my parenting.
3: (laughs) Actually, Patty, to be completely honest, I think you brought up a really good point about the uniqueness of every one of us in terms not just of being mothers but our children. And every child has different degrees of capability of handling these things. Um, And I think that's where parenting cannot be done cookie-cutter. We have to study and pray and listen to our children to figure out what they can handle, what excites and interests them, and what their unique sparkle is that God has given them to shine. So to be sensitive to which children can handle Hunger Games and which cannot, I think is part of loving them well. You know, love takes the time and the patience to get to know each person, Mm -hmm. to let them offer themselves to us without fear. Um, In terms of Hunger Games, I think it's a fantastic... um, Picture of how somebody can write or do a movie on violence and still show it as distasteful, mm-hmm. as something to be avoided, as something that can destroy a soul. I think that's one of the powers of PETA's line when he says, if I have to die, I don't want it to be with them taking who I am and changing it. That is an image of God concept. Yes. That he is somebody uniquely made to do something in that world that he doesn't want twisted and destroyed. And, and the interest. point of
0: literature in general, which is the point of the humanities, is to make us is to make us more human. Is to hold up a, the good literature holds up a mirror to us and helps us better understand ourselves. The, the brilliance of of, uh, of the Hunger Games is what would it be like to live in a system that is so dehumanizing to our children, and what do you have to do to try to survive in it, and then turn it upside down. And that's a powerful theme, and I think we had to deal with that every day from reality television to the gigantic government and, and, and corporate systems that we have around us. Who are we in the middle of all this?
3: Entertainment, too. I mean, these are the kinds of books to me that prepare children to end up making decisions like Dietrich Bonhoeffer did to stand against the regime of Hitler. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it cost
0: him his life, but he did the right thing.
3: I mean, you don't become a Dietrich Bonhoeffer by not considering what you would do in a, in, a, in a situation that is calling for your obedience or your life. You have to think through these things beforehand to have the soul strength to be able to do something about them.
0: So I applaud you um, opening up your children's lives to imaginative literature. I think that it, it will deepen and take them much further than, than we can even understand. Especially with yourself as a guide.
3: Yeah, we're, yeah. we're all
0: for
2: it. Well, and I just think that it's important for our listeners to hear that—that that it's not just a black and white issue here. That oh, you just boy. don't go, "Ooh, there's violence," therefore, you know, we well, need to cut
3: them off. They shouldn't read it. No, they should, they should see read it. the
0: Bible then, because that's full of violence. There's
3: very hmm. few black and white things in this world. I mean, there's the Ten Commandments; those are pretty clear. But there's mostly gray things that Jesus asks us to rely on His Spirit with Him to make a decision
2: and to be able to dialogue. You know, oh. through, yeah,
3: what what are our decisions?
2: Like That's you said, right. to be it's able so to important. put yourself in those situations and to go, okay, well, you know, what do you think about that? And what, what he said, what Peter said here, what do you, you know, what would you do in that situation? And I think it's so significant to make our, you know, allow them to think and allow them to be creative in, in yeah. the way that they're processing things. That
3: is how you share faith with your children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you
0: go.
2: Okay. And then that leads to, um, Dale, you made a comment about... Um, just being in God's image and and just you know painting that picture. What what about women? Um, it, 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 tell us about God's image through women. Is in is it something unique from from men? Because so many times we go, oh no, you can raise your children the same way, and they, and there isn't that uniqueness. I mean, you hear that argument all the time. I didn't I didn't ask that question. Uh, very clearly, so hopefully you can figure it <laughs> I think I, I
0: understand, that. and the answer is 42. John <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, uh, Jonalyn's book, Ruby Slippers, How the Soul of a Woman Brings Her Home, is uh, addressing that very question, how are women uniquely made in God's image? And we do believe that men and women are made differently, but, you know, one woman is made a little bit differently from the next woman, and from the next, and from the next. There's uniquenesses even among our, our own genders. But, uh, but to the question, I mean, one of the great things I, I see about women being made in God's image is, um, a quality that Jonathan cashes out really well, which I'll let her explain, is the quality of vulnerability and vulnerability in God, which is usually seen as a liability. But in vulnerability even on the, in the physical sense that, in general, women's bodies are weaker than men's bodies. And they walk about a world. I mean, if a man and a woman were to take the same dark alley on the dark streets in New York City, they would take the alley differently. They would go down it differently. They would have a different kind of posture, a different kind of approach because they know that their bo- what their bodies can handle. And God himself allows himself to be vulnerable even to mankind, and the strength that vulnerability has, especially when you look at our Savior as he's on the cross, allowing himself to have that kind of vulnerability, and the beauty of it is the kind of thing that, can, that, that as we have seen, has, can change the world, because mm-hmm. the power of vulnerability comes through to see that weakness really can overcome strength, because weakness is a strength in itself.
3: This is We see this throughout Scripture. And I don't think that men are not vulnerable. I think that women often have a head start in vulnerability because of the way our bodies are made. But um, I think women can be leaders in vulnerability, which means we are leaders in creativity, in innovation, in technology, because to make new ideas happen, you need the vulnerability to try new things. Um, I think that's part of why we see women um, often venturing into new things on their own, boldly, courageously, um, but taking that vulnerable step. And I think that those are all echoed in who our God is.
0: That's right. Women are definitely more vulnerable in relationships in American culture, whether by training or whether by nature. But we see that men tend to be more uh, hiders when it comes to emotion and more guarded when it comes to the emotional life, which I think women can example to men so men can grow in that area.
2: That's interesting. I just read in a survey that, the number one, f- well, I, I don't know if it was the number one fear. Uh, of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up the statistic what's, you know completely. But um, that one <laughs> of the major fears in men is that someone's going to find out they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: right.
3: Wow, that's, that's right. so sad. What a sad way to have to live, always pretending you know something you don't. Right, I think that's, that is Apollo of men who are
0: it, it just simply are insecure about who they are and, what, and that it's okay to have limitations.
3: And this kind of speaks into the whole issue of sexiness, I think. You know, one of the things that's very attractive to us when we meet someone that we find sexier, you know, hopefully someone who's our, our spouse, uh, eventually, <laughs> is that we see them do something that we're like, wow, they're so capable, they're so confident, they can do that so well. Like when I watch dishes. Yes, that's very sexy. <laughs> that is very <laughs> uh, sexy. <sexiness. laughs> but that's just the beginning of sexual in a relationship, especially in a marriage relationship where you start to know each other's competencies, areas, and they're not, they're not quite as cool, you know, you're like kind of ho-hum about them, you realize that the thing that is most, the most of a turn-on in a relationship like marriage is when your spouse can come to you and express their need without blaming you or mm-hmm. expecting you to fill it. That vulnerability is such an intimacy-building virtue.
2: And I think it's important as wives to share that with your husband and let them know that because so many times, you know, you see when I, I know when women come and they're, you know, talking about the issues that they're dealing with with their husband, that their husband can never come to them and, and apologize or come to them and Mm-mm. and say, this is where I was wrong. And, it yeah. you know, it yeah. just spirals.
3: Yeah, well, we're afraid to share that we have needs too. I think the number one lie women... Um, and I've, I've read, I've um, listened to this recently by Brini Brown. Who does, she's an expert in vulnerability. She says the number one lie women struggle with is they want to say, I can do everything. I can do it in heels and I can do it without breaking a sweat. And so for women to admit they have needs, to let their hair down long enough to let not just their girlfriends but their husband meet their needs, and it's vice versa. Men need to be uh-huh. doing this too. That's what makes intimacy work. But but sometimes when uh, one spouse is weaker than another, then, then then the
0: stronger spouse just needs to to, uh, to help teach the other just to be an example. When Jonathan is vulnerable to me, and I find that when I'm vulnerable to Jonathan, it opens up a lot of room between us. I mean, you see it, too, even in, go to go to an AA meeting, and the guy who stands up and says, I'm an alcoholic, all of a sudden everybody else can kind of sigh in their souls. Be like, oh, okay, well, I have problems, too, and I think maybe I could share them now. <laughs>
3: well, it's like Bruce Finding Nemo, the big, great white shark, admitting that he has issues. You know, <laughs> that, then everyone, then, then Marlon can get up there and admit it, too.
2: Well, that is so interesting. We only have a couple minutes left. This show has just flown by. And what would be just like two tips that you can just share with our listeners to really start working on in the next week or the next month? What, what advice would you give them?
3: I would say look for ways that Jesus has changed your life today. Spend your energy on that rather than nail-biting that you are not doing evangelism right. Look at what Jesus has done today. Mm. Keep your eyes open. That awareness will spill naturally into others' lives. Mm. And to dovetail on that, I think that if we did
0: just a simple thought experiment of asking ourselves, if I had nothing to lose, or if I believed that God was truly for me, that he had my back, what would I do today? Mm. How do I be more bold today? How do I be more loving today?
2: I love that. How would I be more bold today? How would I be more loving? and I love it when if if I really believe God is who He says He is and He has my back so many times we we live this life not realizing God has your back. hello there mm. it, it, there's nothing else we could ask for. He has our back <laughs> that's right. So, I just want to thank you guys for being on the show today. And once again, we are talking with Dell and Jonathan. And you can find more information out about um, Dell and Jonathan if you go to Solation.com and grab their book. So thank you once again, and we'll talk to you next week.